It is true our health outcomes are worse. Well, why is that? Maybe it's because we've emphasized healthcare and not care of a person's health, which means being inclusive of social and being upstream and working earlier in their life. Perhaps if we do this, we will right-size the equation for our country. And it may not change dramatically the total cost between health and social, but if we can keep the costs where they are and dramatically improve people's lives, we will have made far more progress than in the last couple of decades. I'm Claudia Williams, and this is The Other 80. If you love this episode, I would love it if you'd share it with a friend. On this podcast, we talk about how we can build health in America beyond medical care. And we do that by centering conversations on whole person health and focusing on social drivers. But largely, those are pretty new concepts for our sector. So is this approach here to stay or just the current shiny object catching our eyes? Our guest today falls soundly on the here-to-stay side of that ledger. Dr. Shantanu Agarwal leads Whole Health Strategy as the Chief Health Officer of Elevance Health. In this conversation, we talk about Elevance Health's Whole Health Index and investments in maternal health and food as medicine. And we ask, could the U.S. get better outcomes at the same cost if we redirect resources from medical to social care? Please welcome Dr. Shantanu Agarwal to The Other 80. Welcome uh, to the show. It's really great to have you on. You are probably the largest health plan that's been represented on this podcast. And I'm curious, as you think about your social drivers and whole health work, how do you think about leveraging the benefits of scale while also not losing the value of being local and community connected. So how do you balance those two things and approach those two things as a large national organization? Yeah, that that is a great question. So first I'll say our strategic focus on whole health, I think is really critical. So when we think about whole health, we really think about bringing together the whole picture of a person's health, their physical health, their behavioral or mental health, and their social health and well-being. And, and I think the logic of that is really clear, right? You, you and I, anyone that we talk to, our family and friends, they think about health in that very comprehensive and complete way. You know, They don't separate their cardiac health from everything else in their life or their anxiety from everything else in their life nor should we, right, as, as the insurance company or as, as the benefits company for them. So I think that that focus is really critical. And, and it's not just a sort of strategic focus. It is our answer to how we get at healthcare value and affordability. Your, your question about being both national and local, I think, is really important, especially when it comes to addressing areas like social needs. So we do think of ourselves as a national plan that is also hyper-focused on being local, understanding local conditions for our members. So if you have a community without adequate access to uh, groceries, fresh groceries, fresh fruit and vegetables, because you live in a, a food desert, that is a community level issue that will clearly affect your individual health as well. So we need as a hyper-local uh, plan to understand community level resources, understand the impact that that might have on a person's life, and then actually make sure that we are uh, assessing health and social needs at an individual member level. 
But then also where being hyper-local becomes critical is, okay, now that we understand your needs, how do we get you connected to the care that you require? Whether it's a traditional doctor's office, making sure that you have adequate uh, access to primary and specialty care, or it's a grocery store. Uh, Again, that comes from a knowledge of the network around you and the community around you. That is really critical. So yes, national in scale is wonderful. It, I think, does make us better at what we do. It makes us more efficient. It allows us to uh, utilize economies of scale um, so that when we have something that works in one market, we can think about expanding it to other markets. But you can never lose that on-the-ground uh, knowledge of what is happening. That is where our local leaders are really critical. I have the privilege and honor of working with them every day to make sure we understand what's happening in the community and can act accordingly. Your title, I think, is one that we're increasingly seeing, not just in health plans, but across the spectrum, which is chief health officer. And I think folks are accustomed to chief medical officer. We've seen titles like chief social impact officer. So I'd just love to have you dig in a little bit to this concept of a chief health officer. What does that really mean? And and how would you describe the work of that person at Elevance, but maybe even more broadly in the industry? First, I'll say coolest title in the enterprise, for sure. Uh, I have the uh, honor of having it. It is, it is great. And, and don't, don't say, uh, don't tell anyone, but I, it might even be cooler than CEO. I'm not sure. Uh, I think say. it is cooler than CEO. I don't <laughs> think there's any question. I mean, social impact might also be, but yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, later. that's a good one. That's a good one. So look, I, I, I think th- this title and this role really came out of Gail's vision and focus on whole health, right? I mean, it is just so critical for our enterprise. It's a central pillar of, of uh, our, our approach. What I think this title or role really embodies is the opportunity for a clinician to um, kind of sit at the leadership table and prioritize first and perhaps only the health of our members. That is a really different role for a clinician, especially in this industry. I get to focus my day on thinking about and driving our whole health strategy. Of course, not doing that alone, working across the whole enterprise. I mean, our leadership very much believes in this vision and we try to embody it and embed it in everything that we do. But it's a chance to kind of really think deeply about that strategy, think about what the gaps are in um, our whole health approach. In our case, it was really making sure that we had a well-thought-through, well-designed, scaled care model around social needs. I think everybody knows that Elevance is a publicly traded for-profit company. So I'm certain that the work you're doing leads to the benefit of the company and the bottom line. And you mentioned that earlier, but can you be more specific about ways in which this work might actually help the business? I think in a variety of ways. Um, You know, the work that we are trying to do, these end goals are really aligned to business end goals. And I think it sort of makes logical sense when at the end of the day, we are accountable for the full picture of health and all of the associated costs for a member. And of course, that aligns with business interests. We should want to be that embedded with our members, be that understanding of their lives. And then when you actually address root issues and root causes, help them to optimize their use of health and healthcare, that shows up as perhaps a better bottom line. But what it also shows up as is a better relationship more engagement, and hopefully the member actually recognizing the important role that you're having in, in their life and wanting to stay with you. I, I think if we just do this job right, it so naturally aligns with business outcomes and goals that I think this is sort of the the path that we will just stay on because it will make sense in so many ways. 
So I, I do think to your question, yes, it aligns with the business, but that, I think that is exactly what patients want. One of the areas you've talked about is how to do a better job doing individual social risk screening. And and that is just one component of knowing somebody, right? But I was just imagining before this call, my health plan calling me up and saying, hey, we'd like to take a few minutes of your time and asking me all these very personal questions. Just in terms of understanding me, Claudia Williams, and what my needs are, how do you use that data and how do you collect that data and what's been your approach to increase it? Yeah, great question. I think the center of our approach has been sort of no wrong door and no wrong time. So you are absolutely right. These are sensitive, quite often sensitive conversations. People are in different places about when they want to have this conversation, frankly, if ever, and how they want it to be done and with whom. So our approach has been, this is very critical. We do want to have this understanding, but we have to meet members where they are. So we've made uh, it possible for members to get screened through case managers, um, through their providers, right? If, if the pe- person you are most comfortable with is your physician, then we've provided a program for uh, physicians to be able to capture this information and not only get it back to us, but actually initiate a referral process so that uh, members can get their social needs met. Um, if you are uh, uh, you know, the kind of person that does feel comfortable doing this digitally. You want to do it in an app. We've also made it available in an app. I think the second part of this is really having the empathy to ask these questions. I think how we approach that is really important. We need to be open. Uh, we need to ask the questions, I think, in a, in a thoughtful way and not in any sense express a, a stigma or any you know sort of emotion or reaction like that. I mean, truly, this is about you know, getting the information at a pace that is that makes sense to the member and then showing them that we can do something about it to make their lives better, right? I mean, I don't want to put anyone in the position of merely collecting this information. And so we are really thoughtful about making sure there's lots of avenues and then there's lots of avenues for help um, so that the member truly is getting, you know, a response to their expressed need, their expressed concern, which then I hope opens the door to more interaction and more engagement and more information from them. So you mentioned that one of the first opportunities you had in this new role was to really think through what that social care model was. And also you have a strategy of no wrong door. And I'm curious how those two things come together because you have people coming in and expressing need in a huge variety of ways. You have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of communities that you serve, and you're also trying to bring forward a new care model. How does that work? (laughs) Like, how are you making sure that there's referrals available in the different communities you work in through these different doors? And what are some of the key things that you've had to put in place? Yeah. So I think the good news is that given the kind of company Elevance Health is, we've been in the community for a long time. I mean, that did not start just because of my role or, or even recently. So we've had longstanding ties with community organizations and, you know, other enterprises that are really central to the fabric of the communities that they're in. We've been doing that through our foundation. We've been uh, doing it through our for-profit business as well. So there was quite a bit of work already done that we could build this on and quite a bit of local knowledge, right? I think what we had the opportunity to really build is, okay, you know, let's think about how we interrelate to community-based organizations. So again, We have been doing that for a while. 
Do we need to systematize it in certain ways? If we're going to exchange data with them, how do we ensure that the data is private and meets all of the different regulatory and other requirements that we have? And so, you know, I think a lot of our initial focus was putting into place a model that would not impede what CBOs uh, and other community organizations are doing, but allow them to interact with us in a safe, private way that would that would meet all of the other requirements that exist. We wanted to make it possible when we got a referral, right, through this no wrong door approach, we could get the, the name of the member to the CBO without any issues, and they could immediately start addressing uh, the needs of the member. That implied a level of interaction that was a little bit different, but then also it, it requires us to make sure that the CBOs are resourced to do this. You know, m- most CBOs in most parts of this country are small organizations. They're funded by grants. They don't have a lot of capacity for additional work. And so we feel it's really important to provide them resources to help build that capacity. So we do this through our foundation. Our foundation works really closely with community-based organizations. Our for-profit business works really closely with them. And there's lots of different avenues, therefore, to sort of get resources to them. And then we often have resources follow that member referral as well so that the CBOs can actually do the work that we're asking them to do and and, um, sort of return the information to us that we need to ensure that referral loops have been closed and members' needs have been addressed. And oftentimes, as, as you know, these are long-term interactions. You don't address food insecurity overnight or housing issues overnight. It takes a long time. And so, again, I think part of the model is making sure that we are there for the member and we are there for the CBO and present and, and willing to come back if anything about the picture changes or, or the member's needs haven't totally been met. Strategically and tactically, how do you decide what sorts of projects or services are foundation run versus what should actually become a benefit or what should become a health plan offered service or benefit? How do you think about which things go in which bucket? So we try to have our strategic vision around whole health really cut across all of these silos. So I wouldn't say there's ever a conversation about, oh, let's do this only in benefit design or only uh, through the foundation. It's really trying to get these uh, levers to interplay with each other. When you think about the foundation, that is an opportunity for us to have impact at scale throughout a, a community that we're in, irrespective of whether you in that community are a member of Elevance Health or not. I think that is a really critical responsibility for us. Um, and we know that without necessarily having that impact, ultimately our members can't get better either. And so we took a step back a few years ago and decided that in the foundation, we'd focus on three primary pillars, food is medicine, maternal health, and substance use disorder. We focused on them because we saw a crisis in each space. In maternal health, there's a widening gap, as you know, in outcomes between African-American moms and, and other populations. It is uh, increasingly difficult to have a safe, high-quality birth when you're in certain communities, in certain populations. That is a, a national call, and you've seen a lot of organizations respond to it, I think, critically and importantly. And we felt, given that 10% of the births, roughly, that happen in America are with our members, we felt that that was an area that we had to focus on. I think, similarly, uh, substance use disorder, again, affects so many different populations and individuals, we felt that had to be a cross-cutting emphasis. Food as medicine was an opportunity for our foundation, in a sense, to take the lead 
and lay some groundwork in communities and really figure out what works and perhaps what doesn't. This is different. You know, I, I, I'm a strong believer in food as a therapeutic. When we look at the way we consume food and then the rates of metabolic diseases like diabetes, cardiac disease, congestive heart failure, that overlap is not uh, coincidental. I mean, these uh, issues are clearly tied to each other. And we've seen a lot of research and a lot of demonstration projects show that when you can actually improve the food intake of a person, they may become less reliant on pharmaceuticals. They may uh, improve uh, in these metabolic conditions. So the, the foundation had an opportunity to really invest some resources in order to learn the lessons of food as medicine programs. And we're now bringing that to our enterprise. Um, we've been able to hire our first food as medicine director who really understands the space, understands the research, has implemented food pharmacies and other programs in his community as a general pediatrician. His name, by the way, is Dr. Kofi S., a wonderful guy. And um, we're looking for him to provide that same thinking and drive very similar work on our in our insurance side, which I think could be extremely powerful and be another opportunity to improve a person's health that might perhaps one day replace their need for medication or at least lessen that need, make them healthier so that they can focus on other things in their life that are frankly more important to them and be focused less on the medications they have to take. That's awesome. I think there's been a lot of writing and talk about how little we focus on, have historically focused on nutrition in medical education, nursing education, like a regular education, all of it. So I think that's a that's a fabulous focus. Yeah, I, I'm too often reminded what I didn't learn in med school. We learned a lot. Uh, I do want your listeners to get the sense that there's a lot that's taught and learned in med school. But yeah, unfortunately, there are areas like addressing social needs and nutrition programs that are not at the core currently of, of that education, or at least wasn't when I went through it, which admittedly was now felt like a lifetime ago. I think we need to re-implement that in, in our training, whether it's in med school, nursing school, or, or anything else. I mean, these, these opportunities, these leverage points, using something like nutrition as a leverage point is so critical and I think can, be, can have such wide uh, impact on a person, but also their family. Um, and, you know, you think about a family that eat, obviously eats together, like they're eating the same food and therefore these conditions run across the whole family. And so we have to really think about it differently um, and make sure that we're intervening on the family unit as a whole. Hmm, that's a great point. I have had the privilege of knowing Mark Overhage for a longer than I probably should admit and ran into him recently. And I asked him, I said, listen, I'm interviewing your colleague, and what should I ask? He got so excited about the whole health index. Talking about this new metric that you've developed, which combines 93 different inputs. So I, I guess I'd love for you to just take a step back and describe what is the whole health index? Why did you develop it? How would you be using it? And where do you see it going in the future? So- what we are really trying to address with the index is, if you think about trying to impact a person's whole health, uh, I think step number one is really needing to understand what their whole health actually is. So I come from a quality measurement and improvement background, and our measurement enterprise in healthcare generally actually moves us in a different direction. It's all about understanding a person's cardiac health or the status of their diabetes. It tends to segment a person's life into 
disease conditions or organ systems. And that's important from a perhaps a technical healthcare standpoint, but it doesn't tell the person very much about their, their health, and it doesn't tell us very much about the entirety of their health. And so Mark and I and many other people set about trying to answer that question, and we, we basically created this composite measure called the Whole Health Index. What this index does is it, it tries to bring to life our philosophy around whole health. So it, it brings together information about physical health, behavioral health, and social health into one index. As we use it, as we get a better understanding of what whole health really means, I'm sure it will lead to changes in the index. But what it offers today is the opportunity to understand from the data that we have what a person's health may be. And it often, you know, we're now utilizing it in programs to both track the impact of those programs. So, you know, hopefully driving improvement in whole health, but also it can cause us to reach out to a member who may not be engaged with us, but according to our data and according to this index, may be in poor health, may really need that outreach. And so we've done some pro, a lot of now proactive outreach and engagement with members based on the whole health index in order to better understand what their needs are oftentimes to get them actually into our social needs program because a huge driver, uh, of course, of whole health is that social picture. And when we reach out to members, that's one of the first things we learn is that, you know, in fact, it is the social issue that's standing in the way of other things in their life. I was thinking about your background, and I think many of us who've had, I'd say, varied careers have all these elements of expertise and perspective that we bring together. So you have had leadership stints at CMS, you led the National Quality Forum, you were at ChenMed, and have recently written about what an approach to whole health could look like that combines this sort of holistic way to think about quality measurement with value-based payment. Yeah, I think measuring is really important. The system responds to measurement, especially when measurement is uh, attached to financial models. I think there's an opportunity to evolve what we measure. So when you think about the measurement journey we've been on as a country, as a healthcare ecosystem for the last couple of decades or so, it really started from this view, this sort of skepticism that healthcare could even be measured. We've clearly gotten past that. We've done a lot of technical work on creating great measures that are you know, adjusted in the right way and, and capture the right information. But the central thesis of measurement has been making the clinical interaction higher quality and then ultimately higher value. I think whole health models, a whole health approach makes you question that central assumption that the only thing that matters is the clinical interaction. Right. If if we believe that 80% of a person's health is not determined in in by the hospital or by the physician's office, then we can't spend 80% of our measurement focused only on those two environments, which is really where we are today. Um, so I, you know, I've advocated for, we've written about getting new measures that really extend into other spheres. Let's be honest, today we don't have even great behavioral health measures. Those are still clinical measures, still very much squarely in the clinical arena. And then this question is always, okay, we can, we can get all three different measure types going, clinical and, or physical, behavioral, and, and social, but does that represent the right picture of measurement? I think, again, there's still an opportunity to 
bring that to a higher level, and importantly, bring the patient's voice into this. You know, the patient's voice has not been very well represented in measurement for the last couple of decades, right? What the most important voice for your heart health is your cardiologist or your PCP. That's not necessarily the way it should be from a whole health-driven approach, right? We want more patient-reported outcomes that cut across these three domains of whole health and that give us a better picture. Yes, my hope is the whole health index can contribute to that, but ultimately, um, I want more of this information to come from the patient, from the member, because they are the best aggregator across all of these issues. You could have knee pain, chronic knee pain, but only you can assess how much that affects your day-to-day life or how much that interf- you know, interferes with things that you do for fun or for work or, or whatever the case may be. That's the information that still continues to be missing in measurement that I think could make an, a, a hugely important difference. And then when you've got those things in place, we of course need to make progress and get them embedded in the right payment models. Again, lots of great work in value-based contracting and purchasing over the last you know, 10 plus years, both in the public and private sectors, but intrinsically tied to hyperclinical measures. I'd like to see those measures be broadened and you know, therefore the value-based models kind of reflect a broader thinking. And then it opens the door to asking, well, what's the right provider to work with this member? Who is going to most immediately and directly address the needs that they have? I sort of think that's another phase of this that's coming once we have a, a better, wider appreciation of whole health itself. That's so interesting. And it, it led me to wonder, and you may not have thoughts about this, but if you look at CalAIM in California, which is the Medicaid program around whole health, or if you look at DSNP plans, or you look at the new AHEAD model, I think there are opportunities in all of those. I almost wonder if there's a way to build out a framework that could be put up against many of the directional avenues CMS is taking, whether that's for Medicaid for duals or broadly for multi-payer efforts um, in a really interesting way. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think there's an opportunity for everyone to lead uh, here, right? Because we've been talking for several years now about the impact of social on people's lives, how we know that affects health outcomes and healthcare utilization. We're seeing it in the data. We're seeing it in our own model. When I think about this from sort of a stakeholder lens, Everyone can lead. So Medicaid programs can absolutely lead on this. There's already an expectation that companies like ours address our members' social needs. I think there's policies they can put into place that really potentiate that, right? So, you know, why create artificial divisions between healthcare expenses and social expenses? If we all are aligned around a whole health vision, these things should come together. I think CalAIM is an important demonstration of that. CMS in Medicare is, is really clearly taking some important actions, the new health equity index and the STARS program. And I'm reminded here every day of employers. The majority of Americans still get their insurance through employers. Employers have a really important leadership uh, position here. Um, we try to show in our own work with our associates how addressing social needs can affect so many value drivers for employers, whether it's the bottom line or their employees' engagement and productivity, their tenure with the company. These are all real opportunities for employers, uh, again, to demonstrate their leadership. And I think uh, if if we could get all of these stakeholders to act together, uh, it could just be incredible for our society. I was reading an article by Sherry Gleed, a famous health economist, who was voicing her concerns about healthcare organizations leading on SDOH. 
And I guess I'll summarize some of the issues she raised and other people have raised. These organizations are really powerful. They don't always play well with others. There's a danger of over-focusing social care on health outcomes. There's a potential outcome where the community orgs have always done this kind of get sidelined a little bit. And then there's also a potential challenge with medicalizing social care, which can lead to bureaucracy and costs. So, And I don't think you're pretending like any of these things don't exist, but I'd love for you to hold that set of issues for a minute and just reflect on what's the way out of that dilemma. I mean, I'm of the opinion, I don't know if you are, we have no choice but to focus on social drivers of health (laughs) because if it's 80%, why the heck would we only be focusing on the 20? But I think these are real issues that I think it's really smart to be thoughtful about at early stages of this work. So how how do you think about those challenges and what might be some exit points where we can really address them? I think as a matter of practicality, we can't know what we know today about the impacts of these root issues and then do nothing about them. I think our very kind of need in healthcare to actually do something about health requires us to turn our attention to what we are learning. So it, it would be hard for me to say, no, 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 like let's stick to let's stick to what we do every single day and, and hope things work out all right. You know, it'll be fine. It'll be somebody else's problem. That that probably won't work. So again, as a practical matter, we must do something about it. I think as a mission-driven matter, we must do something about it. We we need to do it thoughtfully. Healthcare, the our ecosystem is massive. We have a lot of regulatory and other requirements that kind of come with us. And I would agree that there's a really important social fabric that already exists in communities. CBOs have been in this space forever, and we do not need to come in and be uh, negative disruptors to the space. Uh, so I think it's come in thoughtfully, partner with them, make it possible to engage with us because we do unlock a couple of really important things. We unlock resources that they today don't have, and we unlock a Uh, an aspect of a person's life that they don't get normal access to, right? We do understand this really critical aspect of of healthcare that people they're interacting with do experience. And right now that data, that information, that side of the person is completely invisible to the CBO. So, you know, let's be honest, there are things that we bring to this that I think are important for the person whose life we are trying to make better and whose health we are trying to make better. If we can approach the CBO in a thoughtful way, show them this is not about kind of bulldozing into their environment. We respect who they are. We respect the, the, frankly, years and years of work they've done in this space. We can we can partner with them, make it feasible, uh, make it feasible for them to interact with our requirements in an, in an unburdensome way. I think it um, I think it opens doors, and hopefully they they will view us uh, yes as Elevance Health, but I I mean us as a broader healthcare ecosystem, as as partners working to further their mission. Maybe the last point I'll, I'll make on this is, is really more of a data-driven one. When you look at us and other similar countries internationally, people often make this comparison. Well, our, our health outcomes are generally worse. We spend a lot of money in healthcare. However, when you actually look at the total expense on health and social care across all these countries, it actually looks pretty similar. We are more on par with our peers or they're more on par with us from a cost standpoint But it is true our health outcomes are worse. Well, why is that? Well, maybe it's because we've emphasized healthcare and not care of a person's health, which means, you know, being inclusive of social and being 
upstream and working earlier in their life. Perhaps if we do this, we will right-size the equation for our country. And it may not change dramatically the total cost between health and social, but if we can keep the cost where they are and dramatically improve people's lives, we will have made far more progress than in the last couple of decades. So I think we've got to give it a shot. I think there's really practical and mission-driven reasons for why we should. Let's be thoughtful. That is a perfect segue to something that I've been just wondering about, uh, which is I remember a conversation with a Kaiser leader maybe like five or 10 years ago where they were talking about their work to introduce policy around sugar-sweetened beverages. And this was a really big issue for them. And they were addressing it both in California and nationally. And the question I've had as I've started to dig into this space is, are we going to start seeing large health organizations like Elevance, like others, banding together to lobby for policy that has very broad health impact, that is not insurance policy. Maybe it's early childhood education. Maybe it's guaranteed minimum wage. Maybe it's, you name it, right? Parks and communities. And I couldn't think of too many examples where I've seen a big lobbying and advocacy effort in that direction. So I'm wondering if you agree that that might be something coming. And if so, how will it happen and what issues should we focus on? My answer, and I think it it answers this question too, is we have to do what our stakeholders need us to do. So I I know uh, without any doubt that our Medicaid agencies that entrust Medicaid members to us expect us to address their access and affordability issues, address their quality issues, and, and now indeed address their social issues. And I think there are certain social issues that we know are very health impacting. So Food is obviously an example. The ability to get to a medical appointment is is an example. Stable housing is an example. I do think that our job is to make sure we are laser focused on what our stakeholders want of us, that we are truly driving healthcare value and affordability, and we are solving for the barriers that stand in the way. Let us address those issues. Let us address them as comprehensively as we can, show that our models of care can work, and drive all the outcomes that we're hoping for before we think about a much wider scope beyond that. Um, I think we're still working on certain critical issues that we can make impact on directly. We can work with providers uh, in the right you know, arrangements and contracts and financial models to make progress. I, I get a lot more focused on that day-to-day than taking sort of big policy positions that are frankly divorced from the immediate expectations that our stakeholders have in front of us. The question of where to draw the line between medical and social care has come up over and over on this podcast. Dr. Alcawal describes a very logical conclusion. Elevant's Health should focus on delivering the individual social services that are the strongest drivers of health outcomes and cost. Meaning, focus on evidence-based services like food as medicine, but not on bigger social issues like early childhood education, housing supply, and living wage. But I'm left wondering, if we never get around to addressing the underlying economic and social root causes that drive poor health, will we actually make progress? And isn't it time we finally put our shoulders to that boulder? Keep listening, and we'll try to find the answers to that question. 
This podcast was created by me, Claudia Williams. My podcast producer is Avery Moore-Kloss. Check out the show notes for more information on Dr. Shantanu Agarwal, Elevance Health, and its Whole Health Index. There is more information on my background, the podcast, and our guests on our website, www.theother80.com. Until next time, I'm Claudia Williams.